Father, we thank you and we praise you for the dads who are represented in, in our lives and in this room uh, this morning. Lord, we thank you for all the work that they do in molding the lives of the children that are in their home or in their family. Some of these fathers, Lord, are young and others are older. Some have younger children in the home and others have older children who are out of the home and married and have their own families. Some have grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Some of these fathers, Lord, have children who are walking with you. And some have children who are presently not walking with you. Some of the dads, even in this room, are rejoicing with great joy. And other dads are grieving. And many dads feel a mixture of both joy and grief. We ask this morning, Lord, that you would encourage and bless these dads in a very special way. We ask, Lord, that you would help them to understand how important their role is and the power that they possess, how important their ministry is and how fraught with eternal significance their labor is from day to day. I pray, Lord, that you would give to each father in this room the grace to be exactly the kind of father that their children need for them to be at whatever stage of life they are at. Help these dads together with their wives, Lord, to mirror your image to their children. Help them by the lives that they lead, by the example that they set, by the things that they do and the ways that they go about relating to their children. Help the fathers and the mothers of Cornerstone, Lord, to show their children what you are like. I ask, Lord, that you would use all of the dads that are in the Cornerstone family together with their wives, Lord, to bring up a godly generation of men and women who will be champions of the faith, who will know their God and who will stand strong in the name of Jesus and be powerful spokespersons for Christ in the increasingly darkened culture in which we live. And as we look at your word this morning, I do, the number one thing I ask is that you would help me to be a servant of the dads to everyone that's here and to be a source of gospel encouragement to them. And I ask all of these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be looking at a handful of passages today, and the title of the message is Encouragements for Fathers. A number of years ago, in fact, it was back in 1992, I walked into a bar in Miraloma in order to retrieve one of our church members who was having a relapse back into the sin of drunkenness. 
God had saved him a few months prior and had saved him from bondage to sin, one of them being the bondage to drunkenness. But he had walked out of his house early that evening and had left his wife with a distinct impression that he was going to get drunk that night. That's when she called me as he drove away and asked me as their pastor if I could go get him. When I walked into the bar where this brother was, there were only three people inside. It was early in the evening, as I said, one of whom was this man sitting on a stool at the counter of this bar. Our eyes met as soon as I walked into the door, and it was obvious from the look on his face that I was the last person that he was expecting to see. And his first words to me were, what are you doing here? And I said to him, I'm here to ask you the same question. And he immediately, without me saying anything else, got up from off of his stool and walked outside of that bar with me. And as we stood outside on the gravel parking lot in front of the bar, I said to him, bro, what are you doing? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Pastor Melton, I came here tonight to get drunk because when I get drunk, I get mouthy and start popping off to people. And when I do that, I get people mad and they hit me. I came here tonight to get beat up. He was standing just a couple feet in front of me as he spoke to me and totally true story. He, after saying that he looked at me and with all earnestness, He said, Pastor Milton, please punch me. How does a pastor respond to a request (laughs) like that? I I was 27 years old. I was fresh out of seminary. I'd been in the ministry for less than a year, and I honestly stood there not knowing what am I supposed to do in this situation. And I had even entertained, maybe the Lord wants me to punch him. I did a quick mental scan of all of the seminary classes that I had taken at the master's seminary, and we never covered that kind of situation. But after thinking about it for a few seconds, I I said, bro, that's not what you need from me. You don't need me to punch you. Let's go home to your wife and to your kids, and let's talk. And so we drove home to his house, and we spent a few hours together that evening having a lengthy conversation, and it was my honor to encourage this brother in the gospel. It's one of my favorite things to do as a pastor. It turns out that what drove this man to drink that night was discouragement. He felt like a complete failure as a husband, as a man, and as a dad. And what he wanted was to just get pummeled by somebody, anybody, because that's what he felt like he deserved. But what he really needed was encouragement. And it was my honor in that moment to give him that gospel encouragement. And it's some of that gospel encouragement that I would like to give 
to you dads this morning. So if any of you men came to church today expecting to get punched by me, uh, that's not going to happen. If any of you wives drug your husband to church this morning hoping that he would get punched by the pastor, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I aim this morning to encourage you in the gospel. In fact, I'd like to give seven encouragements to the fathers that are here today with the time that we have. And all the rest of you are welcome to listen in as I speak to the dads. And you're welcome to draw encouragement from what I say to the dads, because much of what I will say to them also applies to you if you are a believer. And don't be afraid to listen in if you're not a dad and receive benefit from what is said In fact, you guys will recall that on Mother's Day, just a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon to moms from 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2 about Hannah. You guys remember that? And my intent was to encourage the moms in that message. But after the service that morning, I got a text from a man in the church, and the text said, let's see if we can, he said, I must be a mother. I was really blessed by the message, thank you. And so ladies, you're welcome to do the same and listen in as I speak to the men uh, this morning. I want to deliver seven encouragements uh, for you as a dad if you find yourself sometimes discouraged with yourself as a father. There are many sources of discouragement that we might battle with as men and, but what I want to focus on is if you find yourself discouraged at times with yourself, I would like to speak to that specifically and give you seven encouragements. And the first of those encouragements is this. Realize, men, that God chose you over all others to nurture your children in the Lord. God chose you over all others to nurture your children in the Lord. Observe what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Literally, you bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The fundamental command here is for fathers to bring up their children, which means that children don't just grow up on their own. They need to be brought up or literally, the, the Greek that is translated bring up is the word that literally means to nourish out, to totally nourish. And Paul is calling upon fathers to take on this role of nurturing and nourishing their children. And he tells dads that they are to nourish their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word that is translated Discipline uh, literally speaks of child training. In fact, it has the word for child in it. And it includes both teaching what a child is to be and what a child is not to be. It involves nurturing good in your child through teaching and through affirmation. And it also involves training your child and what to stop doing, even when that training involves the loving and the merciful introduction of pain into the life of your child in order to drive that training 
home. Your children, by the way, guys, when they go out into the real world, they're going to experience pain. And who better to lovingly, mercifully use pain for good in the lives of our children to train them than we as parents? I was reading one writer this past week who said, if you as a parent don't take upon yourself to do that work in the lives of your children, you're going to leave it to the world to do it. And if you leave the dirty work to them to do, they're going to be much dirtier in doing it. Love your children enough to discipline them. That's part of what Paul is saying here. Also, the Greek word that is translated instruction uh, is probably best translated with our English word admonition. It's a corrective word. Admonishing your children means that you understand that your children are born in ignorance, and that's a problem, and what they bent toward evil. And you are playing your role as a dad in replacing their ignorance with right knowledge and in speaking to your children against the evil that is in them, discipling your children away from that evil and being their partner in helping them to walk on the right path. Paul tells us, fathers, that we are to bring up our children in the discipline and admonition or instruction of the Lord, using God's word and being governed by God's word as we do this, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ as we father our children. It's not our discipline and our instruction, but it's the discipline and the instruction that's the Lord's and comes from him, which means we make lavish use of this book that guides us and serves as the content of what we teach our children. Notice, men, that Paul does not say in this passage, he doesn't say, I'm only giving this instruction to perfect fathers who've never messed up in any way. If you're the perfect dad, then to you I give this responsibility to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul doesn't say that. What he says basically is to all dads. He would say, I'm speaking to all fathers here, no matter how much you failed. I'm calling upon you to be the one who brings up your children in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. And notice that he's calling upon fathers to do this in Ephesians 6, 4. Unfortunately, this is how a lot of people read Ephesians 6, 4. This is from the the men's revised translation of the scripture, which says this, this is how they read it. Mothers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and fathers, help your wife out whenever she seems to be getting too overwhelmed with that task. Isn't that how we read it? But that's not what Paul says. This is on you, dads. This is on you. Fathers, this calling is yours to own. Your wife is a hugely valuable assistant to you as the two of you together seek to do this. But this calling is on you. And I want you to feel the honor of this, men. 
Don't see this command in Ephesians 6, 4 and be like, oh, man, I got to add this yet another thing to my list of things to do and responsibilities I have to keep. Don't do that. This is an honor. This is something far greater than the president of the United States personally calling you up and asking you to serve in some key role. This is the everlasting God looking at your precious children whom he created who need a personal life coach. And God turns to you and says, Father, and you say, me? He says, yes, you, I'm calling upon you. I'm entrusting you with this task of bringing up your children in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. And this is on you and it's on me as dads. Imagine the Ephesian church is assembling together on the day in which this letter is first being read. And, and imagine that one of the things that the Ephesian church has noticed is that there's a growing number of children in the Ephesian congregation. And the children, they realize, man, they need to be ministered to and instructed. What is the children's ministry of our church supposed to look like? How are these children going to be instructed and discipled? How are the needs of these children for discipleship going to be met? And so imagine that they're asking this question. And so the whole congregation comes together on this particular Sunday. And here's this letter of Ephesians being read. Coming from the Apostle Paul and Paul comes into chapter six and he's going to address the issue of how the children in the church are to be discipled. And notice that he doesn't say pastors and elders bring up the children of this church in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. He also doesn't say, let the government bring up your children. He doesn't say, let the church bring up your children. He also doesn't say, mothers, you bring up the children while your husband focuses on making a living for the family. No, he says, fathers, you bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this right here is your commissioning from the Lord in this passage to be the one who owns this and applies yourself to this calling. Dads ought to hear this in verse 4 and sit up and say, me? Lord, you're talking to me? And Paul would say, yes, God is talking to you and giving you this amazing responsibility. It's being delegated to you by God and by the church. You bring up your children in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. That's an honor that you would be entrusted and that I would be entrusted to such a high calling by one so great as God. And guys, you know why the all-wise God is giving this responsibility to you? This brings us to the second encouragement, which answers that question. And that is appreciate the power of a father who obeys Ephesians 6, 4. God knows what he's doing here. This is why he's coming to you and giving this honor to you. There's one reason Paul would give the honor of this responsibility to dads in Ephesians 6, 4, and that is because dads have a God-given power over the hearts of 
their children that is greater than anything that a government agency or even a pastor can have in their life. In fact, a couple years ago, we gave for Father's Day to all of our dads a coffee mug that says one pound of godly father is better than a ton of clergy. And as a pastor, I firmly believe that. One pound of you as a dad in your children's life is greater than 2,000 pounds of clergy in their life, which is a good thing because we don't even have 2,000 pounds of clergy here at Cornerstone. In fact, in my opinion, even the most fumbling and woefully imperfect attempt of a godly father to lead his children and his family in the things of God packs more punch and wields more power than the flawlessly executed ministry of a seminary trained pastor. I believe that. I'm asking you to believe that too. Never forget the power that you are wielding as a dad when you speak an encouraging word to one of your children, when you play with your children, when you give your child your undivided attention and look them in the eye and engage with them, when you read God's word to your children and you pray with them and over them, whether you can see it or not in those moments, there are a thousand microscopic miracles that are occurring inside of your child when you engage with them according to Ephesians 6, 4, miracles that, that add up to a mighty sum over time. And so I tell the men of Cornerstone in our Tuesday morning man forums and men's leadership meetings, if you are a father or a husband here at Cornerstone, welcome to the pastorate. You have an official ministry position in our church, and, and that is to shepherd your children. And you are the man for this job. In God's plan, parents are designed to come in pairs, a father and a mother, and you're going to need your wife's partnership in this enterprise, but your wife will be most appreciative if you lead the way. And together with her, nourish your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. In fact, listen to what one leading political figure said back in 1998. He said, the most influential moral teachers in the world are mothers and fathers. But fathers, often because of their absence, are making far less use than mothers of their power as moral teachers. That is why I believe the single most promising approach for improving our lives, our society, and our world in the next century is to help men become better fathers. And I love this last line. Fatherhood, I believe, is the most underused power for good on the face of the earth. What do you think of that? These wise words were spoken by Al Gore, vice president to Bill Clinton at that time. And he's basing what he says here on the results of some studies that had just been conducted, which revealed the shocking truth that fathers are important after all. 
He even said, we now know that fathers are important. And he very eloquently gives voice to very potent truths here. And the quote that I read to you, but all he's doing is giving voice to a wisdom that is as old as the Bible itself. Amen? Get in the game, men. Be done with lesser things. Get your head out of the clouds. Pull away from your video games and cell phone and the latest sports craze and do something that can mark the world for centuries to come and mark Cornerstone in a very deep and profound way. Love your wife and engage in bringing up your children in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. The most important part of Cornerstone's women's ministry is the ministry of the husbands to their wives. The most important part of Cornerstone's children's ministry is the ministry of the fathers to their children. The most important part of Cornerstone's youth ministry is the ministry of the dads to their children, to their youth. As go the men, so goes the church. The church of Jesus Christ will rise no higher than its men, which is why we need every man to be in this game that is defined in Ephesians 6, 4. And we need you to be encouraged and motivated by the power that God has given to you as a man, which is almost certainly more than what you think you possess. In fact, I often tell men, however much power you think you possess in the lives of your children, whatever that is that you think you possess, multiply that by 10 and you might be coming close. The power you're wielding when you pat your child on the back and speak an encouraging word or take your child out for a walk to talk with them over some important issue or even just sending your child, your son or daughter a text or setting a good example for them. Whatever power you think you're wielding in such moments, multiply that by 10 and you might be coming close. So your question as a dad every day should be you get up in the morning and your question is, I, I am God's man yoked with God's power. How will I use this power that I possess in the lives of my children today? What good can I do with this power that God has given to me? That's the second encouragement. Oddly, though, we as men fail often to do this very thing, sometimes because we're afraid and we feel inadequate. So let me give you, dads, a third encouragement. If you feel inadequate as a father, don't let that stop you. If you feel inadequate as a father, don't let that stop you. You know, one of the things I've noticed about men is uh, we, we guys, we struggle with inadequacy feelings, but we never will admit that. One thing you'll never hear a guy saying to other guys is, you know, I, I just lately I've been, I've been uh, struggling with uh, feelings of inadequacy lately. I've been feeling fragile lately, and I just wanted to 
put that out there and share that. Guys don't talk that way. In fact, you ladies don't know this, but we men lack certain muscles in their tongue and in their lips that to where we, it's very difficult for a man to say, I'm inadequate to just voice those words. In fact, later today, ask the man in your life to say those words and you'll see it's difficult (laughs) for them. We struggle with feelings of inadequacy on many levels, but we just don't share or voice those feelings. But if you are a man, a dad here this morning, and you feel inadequate in your role as a father, that's okay. In fact, I would say that's great. In fact, I would say that's a miracle. It's a phenomenal miracle for a man to observe and conclude that he's inadequate in this task. As a dad, you should feel inadequate in your role as a father. In Psalm 51.5, the psalmist says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So the children that are given to you to be a father to are born in sin, which infects every compartment of their being. On top of that, Solomon says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. In Proverbs 22.15. So this is, this is how your children come to you. As Paul Mayo says, your children come to you beautifully made, tragically broken, expensively rescued. And God brings them to you and says, here, bring this up in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. Help these children to see their sin and see their need for a savior and then acquaint them with the most expensive rescue operation in the history of the world, wherein God has provided a rescue for them through Christ. And any man who looks at this task that I just defined without feeling inadequate is a man who's blind to the reality of what his task really is and how the deck is stacked against him. Think about the Apostle Paul. His life was all about the business of preaching the gospel to spiritually dead people in the hopes that some of them will believe in Christ and be saved. But the question is, how can spiritually dead people believe and experience salvation? Paul couldn't make that happen, and he knew that. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 2.16, who is adequate for these things? In 2 Corinthians 3.5, he says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Again, most men don't talk this way. They don't confess to feelings of inadequacy, but Paul does here. And wonderfully, he doesn't stop there. Listen to what he goes on to say. He says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who made us adequate. And that's the way God wants us to think as as dads. He wants us to say, you know what? I'm not adequate for this role, but my adequacy is from God who makes me adequate. 
I have God the Father, I have God the Son, I have God the Holy Spirit to help me. I have the Word of God and I have the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my heart to give to my children. And I will step into the role that God has given to me and I will expect him to meet me inside of my inadequacy and do miraculous things through me there. A man who thinks that way, like Paul thought that way, will see that God honors that kind of thinking. Men, God is waiting for you inside of those areas that you feel most inadequate in. So don't shy away from those things. Move into them. God is inside of those very moments, those very areas that we often tend to avoid as men because they expose our inadequacy. But God is there waiting inside of such moments, ready to do his greatest miracles there. So if you feel inadequate in your role as a dad and as a husband and as a man, that's okay. In fact, that's wonderful. And it sets you up for God to use you in the lives of of your kids. This leads us to the next encouragement for you as a dad. If you find yourself sometimes discouraged with yourself as a father, and that is if you think you have little to offer, know that God can do much with little. If you feel like you only have a little bit to offer to your kids, know that God can do much with little. We have a God who delights to do much with little because he gets glory from that. He did that with Gideon's army in the Old Testament, taking Gideon's army from 32,000 men down to just 300 so that it was small enough for him to actually use and do great things through. And he did much with that little army. Think about the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that we see in the gospel accounts the feeding of the 5,000 with what started off as a ridiculously small offering. Long story short, Jesus tells his disciples to give the crowd something to eat. They look around for food and all they could come up with to feed this great multitude was five loaves and two fish. In John 6, 9, they bring a lad to Jesus saying, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? They're asking a very good question. And amazingly, Jesus receives that little offering. He doesn't say, is that all you got? Seriously, are you kidding me? This is nothing in the face of so vast a need. He doesn't do that. He receives the tiny offering. He takes the loaves and he takes the fish. And in Mark 6, we learn that he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over the tiny offering. And then he gave it back to the disciples to distribute to everyone. And by the time the serving was over, everyone in the 5,000 plus crowd were totally full and 12 baskets of fish and loaves were left over. Why? Because we have a savior who delights to do much with little. And every dad should be encouraged 
by this story. In fact, I, I find my thoughts going to this story as a dad many times. Perhaps you, you think you don't have much to offer to your children. You're not the super dad that other men seem to be. You're not as gifted as other men are. Perhaps you've only been a Christian for a short time and your knowledge is not as deep of the scriptures as other men. Perhaps your wife knows the word of God better than you do. And you're sometimes left feeling that your contributions as a dad to your children's spiritual development are less meaningful somehow than hers. Perhaps your children are growing older a little too quickly and you grieve the opportunities lost and how few opportunities now remain. Perhaps all of your children are grown and they're living elsewhere. Here's what I want to say. No matter what your limitations are, come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't have much to bring to you. What I bring is so little in the face of so vast a need. It's not as much as I'm sure other men would be able to bring to you, but I, I surrender the little that I have to you. And I present it to you for you to use. If you come to Jesus like that, Jesus will receive what you give him. And you know what he'll say? This is perfect. And he'll give thanks and he will bless it. And he will hand it back to you for you to impart to your children. And he will gladly do much with little. I plead with you dads to believe in the power of Jesus Christ to do much with little and stop robbing your children of the contribution that you alone can make simply because you're fearing that your contribution is less than someone else's. Perhaps, and we've had this happen with men in our church, perhaps your odd work hours combined with your commute leave you with only one hour per weekday evening together with your family. Just one hour a weekday night with your family. That's so much less than other men have. But maybe that's all you have. Okay. Surrender that one hour to Jesus and ask him to bless it. And believe me when I tell you that Jesus can do more with your one hour surrendered to him than anything that an unsurrendered man can do in a hundred hours. Even if you just have five minutes at the end of the day, surrender that to Jesus and ask him to bless that five minutes as you move toward your children to be a dad to them. You say, Pastor Milton, I, I wish I'd been thinking about some of these things years ago, but it's too late for me. I've already blown it with my kids. My sins are, and my failures as a dad are heavy upon me, and I fear that it's too late. Well, this leads to the fifth encouragement that I'd like to give to you dads, and that is if you have sinned as a father, if you failed as a father, repent and enjoy forgiveness with God. You want to talk about past sins to feel guilty about? Paul himself was a blasphemer and a violent aggressor before he was saved. 
He was responsible for the death of people before he came to faith in Christ. There were widows in the church of Jesus Christ whose husbands Paul had imprisoned and and killed and orphans in the church whose parents Paul had imprisoned and overseen their killing. Paul had a lot of reason to wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, feeling guilty in his conscience over things he did in his past. Yet in Ephesians 1.7, Paul points to Christ and says, in him we, and he includes himself in this, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is not a forgiveness that comes to all people automatically. It comes only to those who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, just as Paul did. And many of us in this room have done. And to such people, Paul delivers this astounding pronouncement. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And this declaration of forgiveness includes the sins that we have committed as fathers and as husbands, sins that have hurt and negatively affected the people in our lives whom we are called to love the most. As a 54-year-old man, these words from Paul mean the world to me. Probably more than any other sins that I have committed in my life, my sins and my failures as a dad cut the deepest into my conscience, along with my sins and failures as a husband to my wife. The guilt that I sometimes feel for such failings is very heavy upon me, and there are times where I find my conscience accusing me and my conscience questioning whether I'm truly forgiven for those sins. I remember sometime looking, just a few years ago, I was looking at a Creative Memories album that my wife had put together a number of years ago. And in that particular album, there were pictures of my children from a particular season in our life as a family. And like during that season, I, I know where my mind and my heart was. I know I was not the dad that I should have been to my kids. And it was a haunting experience just looking in a Creative Memories album and looking into the eyes of my children as they're staring at the camera, smiling in those pictures Their eyes seem to be pleading for the dad that I was not during that time. And it was almost more than I could bear. I had to look away and could not look into their eyes. They deserved a better dad than what they got from me during that season. In all honesty, my wife and I are at a stage of our life where we're reaping a mixed harvest. There are things that we did right by the grace of God, and the harvest we're reaping for that is like truly wonderful. 
and I see the joy that Jesus was fighting for all along. But we're also reaping some seeds that we've sown to the flesh as well. And at this stage of life, all of that seems so clear to me now. And the guilt can sometimes weigh heavy upon me. And all of that would be a crushing weight were it not for the gospel. I can tell you this, you know, Jesus says the one who is forgiven much loves much. Well, my sins are much. My sins are huge. And God has forgiven me of my huge sins. And I love Jesus for that. If my four children were here today, they would, I'm confident, each tell you that they have a mom and a dad who've never loved each other more and never loved Jesus more because of the grace of Jesus that we have experienced and continue to experience through the gospel. And that grace is changing us in profound and measurable ways, helping us to become something different than what we once were and causing us to fall more and more in love with Jesus and ultimately making us better parents to our children than we would otherwise be. So, men, if, if you've sinned and failed and fallen short as a husband and a father, welcome to the club. Keep running to the cross. Keep confessing your sins and repenting. Keep bathing in Christ's atoning blood. Keep preaching the gospel of God's grace to yourself. Keep making much of your sins and making even more of the cross of Christ. Keep soaking in his grace and let the forgiving grace of God melt your heart into deeper and deeper layers of loving obedience to him. If you don't let yourself believe that you're forgiven by God, then that means you're still bound by the power of those past sins and failures. And the guilt of those past sins will drag you down and keep you from being the father that your children need for you to be at this stage of life. In fact, it's actually impossible to be a good father to your children while at the same time carrying the guilt of your sins. Come to the cross. This is why Jesus died for people like us and repent and receive forgiveness from God and enjoy that forgiveness and, and walk in his amazing grace. If you fail to give your children the gift of a perfect father, that's okay. Give them the gift of a gospel clinging father who's been humbled and lifted up and is being transformed by God's amazing grace. Tied to this is yet another encouragement that I want to give you men this morning, and that is if you've sinned as a father, your failures give you the opportunity to do something really, really powerful apologize to them. Susanna Meadows in a Newsweek magazine article a number of years ago made this statement about apologizing that has always stuck with me since I read it. She said, apologies are moral events that have real power to heal. And I love that statement because it puts apologizing in its proper light, a light that we as men need it to be put in. 
Because if there's anything that comes hard to a man, it's apologizing. By the way, I've noticed this with women too. But maybe harder even for men. Even when a man actually does deliver an apology, he typically muddles through it the way a dental patient muddles through a root canal. (laughs) Which is so unfortunate because apologizing in a humble way is a beautiful thing. And it has tremendous power to heal wounds, especially when coming from a dad to his children. In his book, Gospel-Centered Parenting, William Farley gives this testimony. I'm sorry, Gospel-Powered Parenting. He says, My mistakes, humbly and sincerely confess, probably did more to win my children for Christ than all my meager virtues combined. I can totally believe that. So every father should apologize to his children when necessary, and he should learn to do it well. And to help you men with this, let me give you five elements of a good apology, and we'll just look at these real, real quickly, and I'll just speak three or four sentences about each. When you do apologize, confess your sins forthrightly as sin. When James tells us to confess our sins to one another in James 5.16, he uses the Greek word for confession that means literally to say the same thing. This means that confession entails us speaking the way God speaks about our sin. So we don't just go to our children and say, hey, I'm sorry about yesterday. Jesus didn't die for yesterday. Or, hey, you know, mistakes were made. No, we confess to our children the specific sins we committed. We use biblical vocabulary as we do so. Secondly, make a big deal of your sin. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 7 to view our sin as the log compared to the speck that's in other people's eyes. So we should make much of our own sin and show a bias towards speaking of ourselves as the foremost sinner in a given situation where wrong has been done. And men, I would encourage you, let the gospel free you up and give you the courage to do this and make a big deal of your sin. And please don't minimize your sin. When you minimize your sin, you're minimizing what Jesus died for. You minimize the cross. When you make much of your sin, you're actually magnifying the cross and deepening your own capacity to experience the power of the cross. Thirdly, take full responsibility for your sin. Resist the urge to dish off responsibility. More than you realize, your children, without ever saying so, are internalizing responsibility for your sins. When you sinfully snap at your eight-year-old daughter, she doesn't think to herself, wow, dad must be under a lot of pressure at work. And he obviously has some indwelling sin issues that he's got to work through. I, I, think, I, I think I shall pray for him more diligently. No. In ways your eight-year-old daughter could never articulate, she's internalizing Elements of blame for your anger. 
And she needs you to move toward her and to reach out and lift that burden of responsibility from off of her shoulders. Reaching out like that and lifting that burden of responsibility from her shoulders and placing it on your own shoulders as a man is an unbelievably precious act of rescue. And it's a rescue that a godly man is willing to perform. Fourthly, when you apologize, show an interest in the hurt that you've caused. Paul's admonition to weep with those who weep. We all say, yeah, I want to be good at that. I want to weep with those who weep. Yeah, are you willing to weep with the person who's weeping because of hurt you caused them? Obeying this command sometimes includes joining in the grief of your children when you have hurt them through your sin. So being a good dad sometimes involves taking the opportunity to become acquainted with the grief you've caused and inviting the children you've wronged to educate you and to fill you in when necessary. Be a student of the hurt that you've caused and work hard to sympathize so that your children are left feeling understood and truly sympathized with. Don't just rush over that and skip that in your haste to deliver an apology. Fifthly, ask for forgiveness. This is the most vulnerable moment in the exchange, and it's the hardest one to step into. But guys, when you ask the question, will you forgive me, there's a seismic transfer of power that is taking place between you and your child You're granting your child the power to say, I forgive you or to withhold that forgiveness. And it's an epic moment that will not soon be forgotten by your child. God exalts the man who humbles himself in this way. And your children will almost certainly come to respect you for it too. Here's something really sad. A couple years ago, during a man forum meeting with about 30 men in the room, I reviewed these five elements of a good apology with the men. And then I asked the men in the room, how many of you have experienced such an apology from your dad even one time in your life? Out of 30 men, two hands went up. I pray that your children's hands will go up if one day somebody were to ask that question. Man, if you're anything like me, you've already blown the opportunity to give your children the gift of a perfect dad. But your failure now positions you to give them, I think, an even more amazing gift, and that is the gift of a repenting father. Give your children that gift. Even if your children are already grown and out of the home, it's still not too late. Reach out to them if you need to and give them the gift of a good, humble apology. And it may be your greatest gift to them yet. But don't just stop at apologizing. This leads to the seventh and final encouragement that I want to give you guys. And that is, if you've sinned as a father, your failure gives you the opportunity to do something really powerful. Grow. Change. Transform. Most of us who've been a dad for longer than a day have already blown the opportunity to be examples of perfection. 
to our children. But having blown that opportunity, we now have the opportunity to give to our children the gift of a growing dad and to give to our wife the gift of a growing, transforming husband. I love the way Paul speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15. He tells Timothy to take pains with the things of God and to be absorbed with them. He says, so that your progress may be evident to all. Paul doesn't say so that your perfection may be evident to all, but so that your progress may be evident to all. Why? Why does Paul want this? Because observable growth in a person's life is powerful. Deep down, most people seriously doubt that they'll ever be able to change personally. But when they see you change through the power of Christ and through the power of the gospel, it gives them hope for themselves. And it also may serve to make them a little bit more interested in the Savior that you believe in. Our children, men, don't need perfect dads. In fact, if we were perfect, it would freak them out, right? Which is why, as a dad, I've always tried to make sure my behavior was somewhere less than perfect (laughs) to spare them from the fate of having a perfect dad. What our children most need is a dad who is transforming and progressing in Christ, and we have an opportunity to give them that gift And however significant our past failures are, that's how powerful the growth that they can see in us may prove to be in them. So let's be growing men, progressing men. Let's obey Paul's command in Romans 12, too, to be continuously being transformed. Children who see a dad who is experiencing the slow motion miracle of transformation will likely grow up having more hope for themselves because they know that true transformation in Christ is possible. And they will know that to be true, not just because the Bible says it's true, but because they've seen it to be true in your life. Give them the gift of a growing dad. Just as we close, guys, you don't have to do this alone. There's many other men in the Cornerstone family in the same boat as you. Link up with the brothers in your care group. Join us for the breakfast on Tuesday morning of this week and fellowship with other men. Learn even this coming Tuesday morning about what's in store for our men, opportunities for this summer as well as in the fall of this year. And maybe you're here today and you've never experienced God's forgiveness and become a child of God. You've, you've never tasted of what I'm talking about this morning. And I'm here to tell you that you have a savior if you want one. And his name is Jesus. He lived the perfect life that you have failed to live. And he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he now invites you to come to him and confess your sins to him. Cry out to him in prayer and in humility. Call upon him as your Lord and Savior. Put your hope in Him. And if you do that, He will be pleasured to forgive you of your sins. And He'll give you atonement for your sins through the blood that He shed at the cross. And He will give you the power through His Holy Spirit to change your ways. And He will give you hope for yourself and for those that He's called you to lead. 
And even if you're 40 years old or 50 years old or 60 or 70, there's no greater gift that you can give to your children than to repent of your sin and to humble yourself and believe in Jesus for salvation and thereby give your children the greatest gift of all, which is the gift of a saved father who's been humbled and transformed and is being lifted up through the power of Jesus. If you've never come to Jesus and experienced that, I plead with you to come to him today. No matter what you've done, he'll take you just as you are and be delighted to be your savior. I hope that's encouraging for you men. I fear that I may have thrown a punch or two, Um, but I hope you are encouraged in the gospel this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I do pray that that if there is any here this morning that has never experienced the healing grace of Christ, salvation through him, that right where they're seated, they would just cry out to you and believe in you as their Lord and Savior. Those of us who have done that, Lord, help us to continue to cry out to you and to believe in you daily as our Lord and Savior so that we can give to our children the gifts that we've been describing this morning. As go the men so goes the church. And may we as men feel the responsibility and the honor of this task that you call us to and help us to be faithful. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give of our offerings to you. Receive these funds that we give in this offering. Do much with all that is given for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. And all God's people said.